reading begins on page 1147 of the Pew Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at the first verse. It's headed, Expel the Immoral Brother. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. A man has his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit, and I have already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand over, hand this man over to Satan, so that the sinful nature may be destroyed, and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast, that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. I have written to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy and swindlers, or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler, With such a man, do not even eat. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. And then continuing in chapter 6, I'm beginning to read from verse 12. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. 
but he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Harsh words. Harsh words. But scripture, when I sat down to start preparing this, this will be unusual for you, I've actually got my notes here because it's such a um, passage, I don't want to stray too far from them. I sat down, looked at the passages and thought, what idiot chose these passages to preach on this morning? And then I realised it was me. So... um, a friend of mine a very, very long time ago said to me, you do realise the Bible is like Mars bars and Brussels sprouts, don't you? I said, Giles, what are you talking about? He said, we all like, there are bits in the Bible we like, like Mars bars. But if we only eat Mars bars, we get sick. Brussels sprouts do us good, but we don't like eating them. Well, I do. I like Brussels sprouts. Do you like Brussels sprouts? Yeah, I love Brussels sprouts as well. But I got his analogy. There are bits in Scripture that are difficult to swallow, but actually do us good. And by heck, this is one of them. I'm not going to address the thing about what does it mean to hand someone over to Satan. If we want a discussion about that, that's fine. Or if you're quick, you'll hear Chris preaching on it down at 10.30. I think there's a bigger issue in this passage for us to address. What forms the way you think about something? What instructs the way you think about something? Not me, but you. Not the person sitting next to you, but you. So I'm not saying you, I mean you. What actually, and some of you are sitting there giving the right answer, saying, well, the Bible does. Yeah, right. We actually have to do that deliberately. There's lots of other stuff forms the way we think that we don't do deliberately. It just happens. Family. The way we were dragged up, brought up. The way our parents thought. Because we either think like them or we deliberately think the opposite to them. Whichever. <laughs> yeah? Or friends, peer group. Culture. And when it comes to sex, yes, I am going to talk about sex this morning. When it comes to sex, our age affects that as well and our experience through our life. If you were a young adult in the 60s, how many of you? It's quite a, quite a call and put your hand up. Own up to how old you are. Come on, that's, that's a lot of you. <laughs> baby, baby boomers were born, born between 1946 and 1964. Are you a baby boomer? Who's a baby boomer? Yeah? If, hands up if you're before 46. Do you, know what, do you know what you're called? I found this out. It's got nothing to do with this sermon. Do you, know what, do you know what you're called by sociologists? You're called the silent generation. 
I'm going to say, looking at you lot, I'm not so sure. But um, you're the silent generation because you go back to 1918, so it's the experience of the First World War for your parents, for your parents, and also, also then of the of the poverty and the and the uh, not the depression of the 20s, and then the. the so you, basically, that generation shuts up, puts up, and gets on um, because that's what you've had to do. And the baby boomer generation. See, my wife and I are different generations. Did you know that? Because the baby boomers are 46 to 64. Including my wife. And then Generation X are 65 to 81. And I'm 1965, so I'm the next generation. But uh, these things are arbitrary, aren't they? But our experience, if you grew up, grew into adulthood in the 60s, there's the whole revolution, the sexual revolution, the advent of the contraceptive pill, and all that stuff. It changed the way we thought. And then if you were between 15 and 25 in the 80s, it's me, there's the whole AIDS thing that suddenly meant, well, we could be careful. And it changed the way we thought. This is, whether you're a Christian or not, yeah? And I talk to my kids now, and my kids aren't millennials. My kids are what's now called Generation Z, um, which are those who are under 25, 24 and under now. And the way they talk about sexuality is completely different to the way I think about it. Complete. And they're my kids. So they've been, and they've been brought up as Christians. But the pervading wisdom, you know, it's all changed, hasn't it? It has all changed. For a prime minister to be having a child with a girlfriend he's not married to yet, and then married, a generation ago, that would be the reason for resigning, not for celebrating. Now please, I'm not condemning. Boris, there. But that's how wide it's changed. Our culture has changed. So we've just got to be aware. Are we judging things culturally or biblically? And where are we standing? Where are we standing? What determines what we think? Paul addresses difficult issues here. And in chapters 1 to 4, he's basically saying, you've got a choice, Corinthians. You can either follow the wisdom of the world, or you can follow the wisdom of Christ. It's not quite a summary of 1 to 4, but it's not. It's a major element of chapters 1 to 4. You've got a choice. If you do nothing, you will follow the way of the world. Because that's what impacts you without you trying. But you need to make choices. And, he, here we go, I wrote this phrase, and I really quite like it, so I'm going to read it out. He makes judgments of morality, but he does not return to his pharisaical legalism. He is founded on truth, he celebrates our freedom in Christ, but he reveals the moral boundaries for behaviour. And the key thing here is he has a relationship with the Corinthians. He knows them. He knows them. My parents got divorced when, um, not long after, where did I got married? And two or three, four years later than that, Dad introduced me to Sue, my stepmother, in time, and he said, we're planning to get married, blah, blah, blah. Now, I could have done the loving and kind thing that a stranger does and goes, hello, nice to meet you. Uh, uh, and blah, 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 blah. 
But I didn't. I went, Dad, can I have a word? And we met, and we had a pint, and I said, Dad, did this relationship break up the marriage? And I asked him the question. He said, no, 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 no. Now, I didn't think it did, because I don't remember her being around, but she was around back then. And he knew her then, but... So I asked him the question straight. Did this relationship break up your marriage? No. And I did say to him, if you're lying to me, there will be trouble. (laughs) Now, why? how could I say that? How could I say that? Because he's my dad. We're family. So I I can challenge family so much stronger than I can challenge anybody else. Because we have that relationship. And I know, even though I challenged him, I won't repeat exactly what he said, because he hadn't come to faith at that point, and the army was still very strong in him. So there were, the conversation was quite expletive-ridden from his side. And he called me various names, but not horribly, and just said, well, you know, oh, he said, oh, nobody's ever asked me anything like that. But later on he said, thank you for asking that. You trusted me to, an- to answer and knowing we'd still love each other. Absolutely. We didn't agree on lots of things. But, and here's Paul coming to the Corinthians going, Oi! Stop it. There's a man, and it's quite possible this man is quite well known in the church. He's possibly even a leader. Because otherwise, why would Paul be addressing it quite so strongly? And he's going, and do you know what he's really, he's most upset about? He's not, he is upset about what the man is doing. In a way, what he's doing is irrelevant, but he is. But what he's really upset about is the church boasting about it. That's what he's really upset about. There's sexual immorality going on, and you, you, church at Corinth, you think it's a really good thing. And look at us being all inclusive and bringing people in who, sound familiar? Some of the issues we face today around sexuality. How can we as a church still be binary in our understanding of sexuality? How can we still have issues with homosexuality and transgender? For my kids, the whole concept of gender is so fluid. And for us, it's binary. And, okay, for most of you, it's binary. For me, it's binary, but homosexuality was much more normal. I've got news for you. It was normal in your day as well. It just didn't, it wasn't spoken about. It was still there, still happening. And you could say that all that's happening now is we're just being open about what's always happened. Because actually, the transgender thing and all that stuff that's going on and the fluidity of gender was happening in Roman culture as well 2,000 years ago. So nothing new under the sun. Man has not found a way to sin in a a unique way yet. It's still the same. But, chapter 5 and verse 12. I'm just going to hit on various verses rather than going through. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? I think that's quite an important thing. If Paul felt he can't judge society, then what the heck are we doing? 
Because we do, all the time. We judge society. Pick up the Daily Mail sometime. Society judges itself. We're not to judge society. That doesn't mean we condone what's going on. doesn't mean we agree with what's going on. But we're not to judge. We're to bring love. We're to bring the witness of the resurrection. We're to bring hope. We're to bring peace. We're to bring transformation. We don't say to somebody who's struggling with their sexuality, you've got to sort your sexuality out first, then you can come to Jesus. We say to them, here's Jesus. Come and meet Jesus. Oh, look, your sexuality is is changing. Do you see the, the difference? We're inclusive in that we want to include people, but we don't include people by agreeing with what they bring. Do you know what? You bring rubbish in as well. Oh, and so do I. Do you remember Jesus encountering that group of people who'd found a woman in adultery? And they got the stones and they were... And what does Jesus say to them? You who is without sin cast the first stone. And they all go, uh, right. So, shall we? It's time to leave, isn't it? Because none of us are without sin. We're cleansed, we're clean before God, but we're, we're still sinful. I've been preaching for an hour. No, that can't happen. I'm sure that bell went when I started. Anyway, um, we're not to judge the world, but we are to judge each other. And even then we don't go, sorry James, we don't go, we come up and go, look, this is the truth, mate. Here's something that's wrong. Shall we deal with it? And I do that privately. Jesus tells us how to do it. But obviously this has become a bigger issue. So Paul feels he has to write about it and has to tell them. We're to offer a counterculture in belief and behaviour. And by doing this we bring the truths of the call to holiness to bear on church members. And we need to judge with the right heart. We mustn't be boastful that we have the truth. Proud of what we do. We're to boast in nothing else save Christ himself. That's why we sang, when I survey the wondrous cross. We're not to be judgmental, verse 8. Let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast of malice and wickedness, but with the bread of sincerity and truth. Just because we have the truth, we don't go, And we're harsh with it, though by heck that's what we sound like in the media so often. We're to bring sincerity and truth. But truth, still. Paul is holding the line. And he's doing it so the guy gets restored. Hand him over to Satan, I'm not going to talk about that, but hand him over to Satan so that he he might be changed. (coughs) His flesh, not his physical flesh, but his flesh life may melt away. And his spirit still be saved. So he might be restored. And we need to see the issue from Christ's perspective. Let's go to, uh, I'm coming to an end. Chapter 6, verse 12. 
Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. We have freedom. Paul knows we have freedom. But he says, come on, guys. Not everything helps. Yes, you have freedom. I've got a friend who can eat sweets and chocolate and stuff like that till they're going out of fashion. And he still loses weight. Yeah? And he's free to eat whatever he wants to. But for me, not everything is beneficial. I know that's a stupid example, but it's the same logic. And what is God's perspective on everything? As Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. But verse 19 is the key thing here. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? Now when he says you, he means you individually and he means you corporately. It means both actually here. We have to choose God's ways. We're free to choose God's truth, not to assert our rights. We challenge the man. We challenge the one who is in sin without condoning the sin. But in Christ there is no condemnation. Let's ensure when we Let's ensure when we do challenge, we're being biblical and not cultural. Talking to somebody yesterday whose daughter's at university, blah, 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 and shocked that her daughter is going into a mixed house. You know, boys and girls in the same house, because when they were at university, that was frowned on. All my kids have all lived in mixed houses because that's what happens but not mixed bedrooms. It's changed. That's a cultural thing. Back in the day, Christians didn't go to the cinema, didn't wear makeup, especially not the men. You know, That was cultural. Now, what's the problem? But, we take care of what we put our eyes to. You know, there's principles rather than the, ex- the expression is often cultural. So can I leave you with this? You may feel this is all over the place, but I didn't want to get bogged down in this specific issue. You are not your own. Your temples are the Holy Spirit. You are God's possession. He has bought you with a price. And that's why we're going to take communion, to remember that. Therefore, honour God with your mind, with your lips, with your eyes, with your lifestyle, with your body. Honour God in all you do. Choose heavenly truth and wisdom. That will mean choosing holiness. And sometimes that will mean challenging somebody even to the point of expelling the sinful brother and handing them over. Guys, it's harsh, but it's truth. And truth that we don't like is always harsh. (laughs) Isn't it? 
Truth we don't like is always harsh. But rejoice that you belong to God. Make the right choices because he who has started a good work in you will bring it to completion. Amen. Enjoy the Brussels sprouts. <laughs>